Hey guys, welcome to Seven Fear Box Podcast. My name is Andrew Frezza, and I'm joined today by Daniel Neary from For You Fitness. And uh, Daniel reached out to me a couple of different ways, which we can talk about that because I thought it was cool how he reached out, but sent me a copy of his book um, with a little handwritten letter in there, and then sent me an email following up on that. And uh, he's someone that's from outside the CrossFit space specifically, um, but he's in the gym space and the fitness space. And I thought it'd be cool to have someone on here that um, has a lot of knowledge in a similar industry, um, but has probably a, a slightly different approach to it or a slightly different set of knowledge and skills that we can learn from here. So uh, welcome to the show, Daniel. Uh, thank you so much. And I appreciate it for having me because again, just like you said, it's a completely different industry, but yet the business is the same language. So thank you so much. Definitely. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I want to start with a little bit of your story because you weren't born here. Um, how did you how did you get to the U.S. and and how did you become a, a gym owner and a business owner? Uh, that's a funny story and long story, but I try to keep it short and entertaining as possible. So back in the day, I used to play hockey semi-professionally, and uh, in my country, Hungary is where I'm from, Budapest, to be more exact. And then I was pursuing the dream, the American dream of coming into the States and playing professional hockey in the States. And, uh, you know, when I came to the States, I, I started playing and uh, it was fun. But then, unfortunately, uh, my I had an injury that basically cut my career right away at the age of 21, I believe, or 22. And uh, after that, I did a long period of rehab. And unfortunately, unfortunately, the rehabilitation that I have went through was not good. I've seen the coaches that I have met with um, were just one of those, okay, I know the idea of training and how you should be doing the things, um, you know, as the exercise part, but I don't necessarily understand your body. So basically they pushed me through with all these rehab motions and exercise and everything. And I just got further injured more and more and more. So mm. because of that, I just looked into it that, okay, this is not right. And I eventually stumbled upon electric muscle stimulation and electric muscle stimulation is something that we basically brought into the United States. But, but before I got there, how I got into the actual industries, my always goal was even with hockey, that once I make money, a good amount of money with professional hockey, I would somehow try to eliminate obesity. So that was always one of my goals. And, uh, and then when I got hurt, I was completely destroyed from the inside to the outside that how am I going to get money to eliminate obesity? And the reason why obesity is so important to me and basically left my life mission is trying to put a dent into it and working with gym owners, just like you guys and all the listeners who, even if your main goal is, of course, not to eliminate obesity, you are actually eliminating it by working with amazing people who are just everyday people or even athletes. But the bottom line is, you know, they are actually staying and keep healthy for themselves and the family. But long story short, my grandparents, unfortunately, passed away from obesity and I was the closest to them. And because of that reason, I decided that would be my life mission and basically trying to help other people um, to understand how it really works, because I have learned if I would have known what I known later, then they would be still alive today because they were very young when they passed away. So. So because of that reason, um, I got into the fitness industry, but just to give you guys the context, I did that overnight. So once I realized this is what I wanted to do, I was still in Budapest, Hungary. I Googled online personal training certifications. Uh, I 
Google's gym locations um, in the US. And I literally, my business plan was that, okay, uh, I think I wanna go to either New York City, either Miami or either California, Los Angeles, you know, to be a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. And none of them worked out because then I looked up the costs and the costs are crazy high at those places. Oh yeah. So exactly. So, so after that, I, I uh, decided with Tampa Bay, Florida of all places, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I did not know anyone. Just give you guys again a context. Um, I didn't have any money. I actually lied to my parents. I was about 21 years old, 22 at still at this time, very limited English. I lied to them and told them, and I created this fake paper that I have actually got picked by this pro team um, in uh, in Pittsburgh. So I just need to fly back, or sorry, in Chicago. So I just need to fly back to the United States. And after that, I will be sad, but they're not paying for my flight. So I got enough money to get a flight and about $150, about 300, but I spent another 150. So like, technically I arrived at $150 in my pocket with nothing else, but just a big dream, which is basically eventually having my own business. So that's how it basically all started. Cool. So how did, um, how did you actually purchase the gym? Um, that you started at and, and what was the first, what was the transformation? Like, how did you grow that into a successful business? So the number one thing that I did, so I went down to Tampa and I, I took five jobs and then you don't really have papers as in like you, you are not on a green card. You have like a work type of visa. So you have to be very careful. And then uh, you can only stay for about six months, then you have to renew it. So that was a little mm-hmm. tough for me. So I came to Tampa and then I was, first job was coaching uh, kids hockey from the age of five to all the way to 14. Second was personal training at this studio that I actually ended up buying, which I talk about in a second. And then um, the other thing was um, um, serving food and bartending and modeling. So those five things I did, I had no friends. So the first three years in the United States, I was just working day and night and nothing else whatsoever. And I used all that money. Um, and by the way, I had also clients from like 5 a.m. to 5, uh, 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. And then I went in to work, you know, at the bar or food around 8 p.m. to all the way 3 a.m. But anyways, so the wow. point is I used all that money uh, to able to buy out basically the person who actually started for you fitness, which is a small personal training studio. But to give you guys a context, it was very small. I mean, it was only making like, something like $60,000 in a whole year. So that's it. So it's a very small personal training studio when I purchased it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and I purchased it for like, I think it was like between thirty to $40,000, something like that. And I only had about 15,000 saved up. So monthly payments is high, basically paid it off in six months. So six different payments. And then I was all of a sudden, uh, basically a personal trainer stuck in a gym. So I thought, you know, I'm the shit sorry if i'm not <laughs> supposed to say that <laughs> but um but i quickly learned that i was stuck for an additional two years um basically in the business doing everything as a personal trainer and then overnight uh, again i had one of these uh thinkings that i start reading business books so the next two years uh every single morning including sundays i would get up at 4 45 a.m and the first two hours uh instead of going to the gym which i did before uh, I would just read and I was just reading business books. So I have read the first year I read a hundred books. Um, and then after that, basically I, it went down to about 50 because I realized that it's not about reading more books. It's about reading the same book more than once and take oh, yeah. action on it. And basically that's, if you ask almost all of my employees, including my wife, 
um, she would say that what contributed the most that we were able to grow so fast after the after like slow start and I have lots of locations, you know, um, that was literally all about the actual taking the knowledge from the books and take action on them. But that was literally yeah. the number one for me. And again, that's the, yeah, go ahead. That's awesome. I love, I mean, I, I love the fact that you carved out that piece of your day just for learning. Um, I think that's phenomenal. Um, and then I love that your, uh, you know, big nugget of wisdom was it doesn't come from just reading more and more and more, but actually putting those books to work and reading the same book over and over again until it actually like sinks in and clicks and you're taking action on it. And I think that's such an important shift that people have to make. I found that in my own life, I'm spending less time on reading and learning and things like that. But when I do read something, I'm really aware of, am I putting this into action? And I find myself reading and rereading or having systems of like being able to highlight and revisit stuff and, and treating it more like a, like a, a college class or something where you're having to study the material more so than just like, let me read the book so I can check the box that I've read this book. Um, I think that's okay. phenomenal. So uh, on that note, how did how did you really take action on stuff or was it just a matter of like if i read enough and i get so much of this information i'm doing this every single day it it has to become a part of me or was there a point in time where you had to actually step back and say you know what i think i'm actually wasting too much on learning and not actually taking enough action yeah so that was a big learning point because it's it's a great point that you brought up because it can be overwhelming, the knowledge that you're learning and you don't know where to start. So what I did is I developed topics. So, okay, so what do I want to be? First, I wanted to be a business owner. So what is the main idea of owning a business and what do I need to do? So I started reading books on that. And then once I read not just one book, but like lots of books on that, I created my own idea of a business, a healthy business, uh, instead of just like having to learn from one person, right? So, and I never learned from one person and just do everything from that person. I I use, let's say, 10 different person's ideas and put it combined with mine. And then I take X amount of from each, you know, that I think is best for my business. So that's what I did. After that, I was like, okay, so, well, uh, that's just me. So everybody says that you need to delegate, delegate, delegate. So what does that even mean? So I have read tons of books about that. And then I have learned that uh, delegation is not the answer, but leveraging is the answer. And uh, I can talk about it. What was the difference between the two? Um, yeah, definitely. Because I learned it the hard way too, that delegation is literally um, what most entrepreneurs say, just delegate early, delegate this, delegate that. But a problem with delegation is most people delegate things that they hate, right? So I did the same thing, but you hate things that you don't like, but I mean, you don't know about. So mm. for example, if you don't know uh, financials or if you don't know accounting, or let's just say if you don't know personal training or or whatever it is, right? You're going to, or let's say social media because that's actually pretty common in the industry. Mm -hmm. So they just delegate it out. So let's say they hire um, either an accountant for the financials or they hire um, a social media expert, right? Now this social media expert or accountant is going to give you reports every Monday or every month or whatever you set up with them. But when that report comes in, if you don't know what's going on, 
you have no idea what the hell you're looking at. So you could be going out of business next month, or you see that there are 10 likes on this post and last week there was five likes. So you think you're making progress. But if you don't know how to read them because you don't have the knowledge, meaning you're not able to leverage the reports that you're getting, that's just straight up delegation and you hoping for the best and have full trust of that person that you have hired. But if you're able to leverage, meaning you have knowledge, basic knowledge of what social media and what's accounting supposed to look like, then you can hold them accountable, you know, by what you are right. wanting from them. So that's basically the difference between leveraging and, you know, delegating. So I, I like right. that a lot. Um, okay. yeah. I also feel like, you know, in addition to knowing a base level of knowledge, you also have to know what the outcome you're trying to get is right with social media it's easy to get caught up in these vanity metrics like likes <laughs> or even, um, you know, engagement um, or number of posts or whatever it might be, rather than well, what's the real goal. We're usually trying to get leads and usually trying to get then conversions. So we need quality leads, right? So um, knowing that outcome that you want to get is huge. How, like, I mean, you can speak to that, but I also want, was wondering if you could elaborate on like, how do you know when... <laughs> How do you draw that line of like knowing enough about something and then just purely wasting your time, meaning you're over learning about a subject that you could be leveraging your time better? Like, where do you kind of how do you judge that point of like knowing enough, but not um, diving too far into the subject that you're uh, you could be leveraging that time better elsewhere? Yeah, so it's a great question because I think uh, that's something you can get lost in so many things. But here's the bottom line. If you're interested about something, you're probably going to pursue it and dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's almost like one of those things that it just opens up more doors and you just get lost in the information of things, which yeah. can happen. It happened to me many times. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> but um, but anyways, the, the way I look at it is as soon as I have a basic understanding, you know how in even high school, I, I think this is a good analogy for it, that there's two kind of students. One of the students are the ones who read all the books over and over and over and again, that they can repeat back the book to you. And they basically are a straight A student in school because they were able to memorize the subject, right? And then there's a second type of student that hears it or reads it once and able to tell you back the whole book, but not what it's written about, but what it's about because got the full understanding of it. Does that right. make sense? So, yeah, so so more of an understanding of maybe not the nuances, but the themes, the overall themes that are important in that specific field or in that story or whatever it might be. Yeah, so almost like having the mathematical equations or whatever in your head or like a matrix that you're able to just see and understand it. So that's all you need to do. As long as you, let's say, see the numbers or see the social media and you have just a clear understanding of what they actually mean and what you're looking to get out of it, then that's when you could stop. And then all these new stuff, of course, you can be all updated. I don't know if you, do you know Billie Jean Marketing? Or have you I've heard, heard of them, but I don't know anything about them. Okay, so I'll give you an example that I, I'm not a social media expert, but um, they come out with lots of cool stuff about YouTube, Facebook, because they have new updates. So I spend about two to three hours, maybe uh, every three months when these new updates come out. That's it. And on it, just to make sure I'm stayed updated on what's the new things that came out. And I usually use the experts of that industry to give me the information. So basically, that's all I do. But again, as, as long as I have a full understanding how it works, and and my head able to process the information is that's when I know that I know enough. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, what so what are some of your favorite books? You've you've read a lot, obviously. 
Um, what are some of your favorite business books? What are some some of your favorite leveraging books or, or delegation books as you leveraging as you want to refer to it? So, if you uh, come into my office, basically the uh, the wall and all the shelves are covered with hundreds of books um, on and they organize in like different types and leadership to all these. My number one leadership book that I think everybody should read is um, Lincoln on leadership and uh, and like Abraham Lincoln. And yep. that is a very underrated book, but uh, I don't know why most people are not sharing that, but I think I have read it many times and that's why ultimate favorite book, because if you're a good leader um, and that's all about delegations as well and leveraging. So if you leverage that book, read it multiple times, then I, I think you can go from one to 10 just by one that single book in, in your gym ownership role if you have employees. Wow. Now, now the uh, other book that I highly recommend for every single business owner, you might have heard of it, is Profit First. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason by Michael Mikalovich, and the reason why I recommend that, that book, because Profit First is, as the title says, it's basically how to take out profit from your business first before you pay the expenses, before you do pay your employees, before you pay everything. Because, you know, most, unfortunately, most gym owners, myself as well, I started like this, um, we paid everything that we needed to pay and we had nothing left. And then, and then we were surprised that, oh man, this is not profitable or I don't have any money. But this book actually teaches you how you're supposed to do it. It's pretty cool. It's, oh, yeah. I would say, the most interesting accounting book that you will ever read in your life. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that, it, it, like you're saying, as it relates to like knowing enough about a business or about an area of business, like Profit First is a great way to know most of what you need to know about accounting and financials mm -hmm. for business without having to, to dive into the weeds on a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. that's, a, that's a phenomenal book. And do you have any, because um, I think, I mean, the, the concepts of the book are great, but is there any specific tactical things that you've done with that book um, that you found useful? Like one of the things that I've run into is like, it's hard with certain banks to create some of these automated things. So like uh, I started using like Ally um, as a separate like savings account for our gym business to just kind of save our cash and get some uh, get some interest on the cash that we have saved up. Um, and then with Bank of America, a lot of my automations are done. Uh, I've just kind of had to like haphazard throw stuff together. There's not really any good um, ways to implement profit first in the way that they encourage it. Have you found anything that works well for you? Yes. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought this up because I found, I'm not saying it's a perfect system, but the easiest system that I have is if you have, especially if you have one business or one, sorry, I had a hiccup, one business or one location, this is great. So it's, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of it or used it. It's called uh, with a Q and it's capital. So it's capital with a Q. I don't know actually how to spell it, <laughs> but it's a, uh, so it's Q A P A T A L. I believe that's how you spell it. It's an app and you can hook it up with your bank account, with all your credit cards, every single account that you have. And you know, the percentages in profit first, you can literally set the percentages with rules as in like either let's say on the 15th or and the 25th or like each individual deposit that goes into your bank account it can take out the amount of percentage that you set up to that account and you can set it up for each individual account so for example i have like six different accounts set up from like i have it for taxes have it for payroll i have it for um i call it the holy shit account uh and i have it for um what should we call it um another safety account and I have it for like just eating out like account 
and uh, it's all automatic. So all deposit being sorted like that, everything else that is left over, that is staying on the main account. Basically, that's how we set it up from profit first. But yeah, I, I don't touch it, so it's all automatic. But we also have lots of bookkeeper. I mean, not lots of bookkeepers, but two bookkeepers and two accountants. But they, at first, they were completely against this. So guys, if you have a bookkeeper or accountant and uh, you try to use profit first, um, you might want to find someone who's supporting profit first, or you seriously need to just explain to them why you do it and how it actually works. Yeah. Yeah. It's a game changer. You like, I remember for the first few years we were in business, like we would treat a lot of our yearly expenses, like, like surprises. <laughs> like we didn't expect <laughs> them to come, even though we knew they were coming every year. And now right. we plan for those things. And, uh, it's just, it's just a game changer to not have, not base your spending around the money in your account because you get a true picture of what's really yours to spend and what isn't. Um, and a lot of times we just see number, a number in the account and we think we could buy new equipment or invest in something when really that, that might not be a true metric based on the time of year and what expenses we have or mm -hmm. whether we're about to enter a down season or whatever it might be. So, and um, I can glad, you, an glad you shared that. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, um Let's, so let's talk a little bit about, um, kind of growing the gym. And, and so you went from a gym that was bringing in like 60,000 in revenue, you said in a year, and then mm -hmm. grew that to seven figures in a couple of mm -hmm. years. How did that happen? So, yeah, so obviously not overnight, <laughs> lots, <laughs> lots of mistakes. And first of all, what I did is, um, and to give you guys an example, so it's it's a personal training studio and it's small. So to you guys give you a context, it's about the first studio was 1,100 square feet. So it's one-on-one -on -one personal training and some, some minor group classes. And then eventually we added in an equipment that we actually developed and got FDA for it. It's the full body electric muscle stimulation suit. If somebody knows what it is, we actually have that. And that's one of the additional things we do, um, which allowed us to actually raise profits even more because that's only a 20 minute session. But mm to get back to the actual conventional, which is about 45 minutes at our studios. Um, so what we did is first is what I hated and what I have experienced that the trainers in the industry have been treated uh, wrong, have been, tr been treated wrong and were not paid enough amount of money. They don't have benefits, they don't have insurance, they don't have salaries, and most of them are 1099s, which, which is fine, uh, dependent on what their role is with the company. Maybe they work at different companies, but in our case, what we wanted to do is have a team that would die for each other, like almost like the, like the Marines, right? And, uh, and the idea was, is that, okay, what they want. So they want a flexible schedule. They want uh, uh, a fun place to work at. They want more money. They want benefits and uh, and something cool to look forward to and have, and most important, the number one thing that they want is growth opportunity. So that's how we package it. So once we knew what our trainers would want is and where we want to go, that's what we created first. And then we broke it down backwards. So then we like, okay, so if that's what they want, we need to figure out how much we need to charge to be able to afford all these things. Mm -hmm. So. So we did that. So we went from literally charging like $40 per session to all the way up to $150 per session. So, and again, that was not overnight either. So, so, but it's a huge, we, each year we basically raised the price almost by double. So, um, wow. yeah. And, uh, and every time we did that, we were a little bit scared, of course, because we were like, who the hell, but I had, a, I hired a business coach. Uh, and then the business coach was also like, and a mentor was almost like, well, listen, if they're already paying, you know, I mean, $40 and they are coming three times a week or something like that, then 
Uh, why not just try to beat first just 65? They, if they pay that, you know, that should work. And they did pay that. So, like, well, if they pay 65, they're probably going to pay 100 too. And then <laughs> you raise it to 100 and eventually, well, if it's 100, no, actually, the 150 happened in a way that um, when we arrived into New York City, we wanted to charge the most. So we charged literally $150 for a 20-minute session. Um, and uh, But back into Florida, to get back to this, we had to figure out first how we were filling up our studios because now we know what kind of trainers we want, how we pay them, which is salary based, and they can create their own schedule. Um, and then basically we know our pricing. So now the number one goal was how the hell we're going to fill up the studios. And this was in the age of Facebook that was thriving and mm -hmm. Instagram was still nothing. So then I reached out to nine different uh, advertising agencies. And guys, before I did that, I did my homework again that what I actually need, what do I need to look for advertising agency, um, what they actually do, how to market, Facebook marketing, that kind of stuff. So once I had the great knowledge, I started to look up all the agencies. And then each interview that I had with the agency, I would know if they are bullshitting me or, or they know exactly what they are doing right away. And they would even tell me and compliment me that, oh, you know a lot about advertising. So, and when they do that, I know that I'm not at the right place. But um, but, and then especially the number one alarm for me was when I asked them, hey, what do you guys specialize in? And they would say, oh, my number, our number one client is everybody. And I was like, oh, nope, not everybody. <laughs> Just write it down. Daniel Neary is not your client because I hate that when they say that everybody is their client. So eventually. You, what did you, what did you look for? Did you look for people that specialize in small businesses or like single location, small businesses? What were you looking for? Yeah, that's what I started out with because uh, back then, you guys probably know Alex Hormozy, you know, might know Mike RC yeah. from, you know, Loud Rumor and all these, they were not existent yet. So, so the, the Loud Rumor actually just born about six months after I was started looking. So, so I don't know if you know Loud Rumor with Mike RC, but anyways, um, mm -mm. the GSD show, GSD con, but anyway, so they weren't existent yet and, and Alex Hormozy wasn't existent yet either. So, I was just looking for, yes, a small agency, mainly a small, small local agency that would able to uh, just focus on me. And I went through about nine different ones and none of them worked out. So then finally, somehow, because of my Google search, Mike RC and the Ladrimer team uh, start calling me. And I'm one of those persons that you're not going to sell anything if you're cold calling me. But that's what they were doing. Ladrimer was actually just born and, and I was on their list. So they were calling me like a lot. And after about 12 calls, I finally was like, okay, let's see what they're all about. And honestly, they did an amazing job of trying to sell me, but that didn't sell it. What actually sold me is two things. One is they created this freaky video that showed them that they are completely different than anybody else. It was just a very funny video um, about like, the whole video he's moving like this and you don't know why so you are just interested to see what the hell is going on and why the hell is he moving when he's talking to gym owners to sign up with him and eventually you realize he's on a giant horse and then at the end he says of course he can get you leads <laughs> and i thought that was so sketchy and so cool that i need to talk to these people and then uh, lastly when i talked to them they actually said daniel we hear you we understand what you need and we are going to work with you as in we're not going to tell you what you need we come up together what you actually need and that was huge for me because the other companies said no 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 you don't need facebook you don't need instagram you don't need youtube uh, what you need is google click uh, click ads and then and then we'll just get you all these leads and mm -hmm. then we're gonna 
put banners and all these things. And I was like, no, 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 dude, I don't need that. Sorry. I, don't tell me what I need. Uh, we are a little bit different. We need to educate them how to come in and all this. And Laudromer was like, oh, tell me more. I'm interested to hear it. And then that's how I was able to like start working with them and knew I was at the right place. And this was almost five years ago now, by the way. And we have not canceled a single month. Uh, we have been wow. still with them for five years at each of our locations. Wow. So so they're giving, they're basically lead generation for you. Are they doing mm-hmm. like branding or just lead generation? So both now, at first it was just lead generation, but now we have a on staff um, videographer at our studios and, uh, and we have some interns all the time and everything. And we have social media person. So we are on the branding and we always filming, but um, they are doing all the advertising for the brand too. Does that make sense? So we create yeah. the content, but they take care of the rest. Nice. Yeah. Um, man, that's, that's awesome. So. Um, I want to dig into the pricing a little bit. I think that's something mm-hmm. that is so important for a lot of CrossFit gyms is to, to get the pricing right. And I love that you approach this from beginning with the end in mind, right? Mm-hmm. What do we want for our coaches? What do we want for the business? And then determining the rates based off that. And then, then finding the clients based on what you knew you wanted to, and, and in a way had to charge to do what you wanted to do. Um, so when you guys were raising your rates along the way, um, did did you find that the clientele changed or did you find that it was the same clients at $40 that it was at over $100 an hour? Or did it, did it actually look like a different clientele? Did it look like a different service altogether? How did you guys have to evolve with it? Yeah, so at first, that's, that's a valid and crazy question, as in like in a good way, because for, first of all, when we raised the price, I was a little bit freaked out about it because the same people try to afford us because the thing is, um, I don't know about you guys, but we spend crazy amount of time about selling and, um, we, we coach our coaches how to sell. We practice every day for at least 15 minutes, role play, that kind of stuff. So we spend a great amount of time on selling and we don't sell about us, like why we are great. Look at all our results. Uh, we were nominated for best James here on doctor's TV show or all these crazy things that we accomplished. We're not even mentioning it once. Um, we are 100% focusing on the client when they're in front of us at a consultation or during the sales process. And we talk 20% of the time and they talk 80% of the time. And we listen to all their problems and, and we sell them on their own problems and we let them sell themselves and reverse sell them, all that kind of stuff, right? So, but the number one rule is that for your fitness that we only allow to use these tactics um, the, 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 if that person that is in front of us, we 100% can guarantee that we can help that person. If we right. cannot help a person, we won't sell them. We would refer it to somebody else. But the bottom line is because of these sales processes, when we each time we raise our prices and the same people came through our door, uh, because advertisements stay, still stay the same, um, we find it that they just found a ways to afford it. And it was exactly the same people and then did not attract different. But when we raise it to all the way to 150, then yes, that changed a bit, a little bit. But now what we're experiencing, that the people who come in who are really not our clients and owners, I'm saying not our clients because they are in a lower income bracket. Um, and there's no way you can afford, you know, $1,500 a month for training if you're only making $3,000, you know what I mean? Or even yeah. 4,000, or even if you can afford it, you shouldn't. And right. uh, and they tried to find a ways to afford it. And we felt pretty uncomfortable because, man, I I mean, I just really don't feel, we told them that we just don't feel right that you pay this much, we should refer you out to somebody else and uh, who can help you for a little bit cheaper. You know what I mean? But 
the idea is Navi attracting, yes, a way higher income, but at first it was exactly the same and it changed as the advertisement got out because the thing is, and the way social media works is that most people who interact with your ads and tag and your pages and everything, that it will advertise to them more and we create a lookalike audiences. So eventually with time, we were able to change the audience more and more and more. Mm. Yeah. That's and, that's cool. Um, what what was the makeup of the gym when you when you did kind of hit that growth spurt and get to seven figures? Like, how big was the gym? Were you still in a single location? Where what was your revenue breakdown in terms of was it all personal training? Did you have supplements, nutrition coaching? Like, what did it look like when you kind of hit your peak in that single location? So the crazy thing is, is that um, most because. The main model what we are mastering and want to master at all times was mainly on training. So all of our revenue mainly is from personal training because our studios, our main model is, well, we're working on our supplement and everything. So we are having our own supplement brand. We just got FDA for it because we manufacture it overseas. But um, the bottom line is we are still too small to bring in this giant order and start pulling it out to the clients and uh, to all the studios. So that's later down the road. So in the meantime, it's all of our revenue strictly came from uh, one-on-one -on -one training and very small amount, like from like clothing gear and everything like that. But 100%, it was all about the training and it was still, when we were reaching that, we still, we had, sorry, two locations and then adding them in each time when we opened up a new studio, we were mastering the art of uh, filling it up right away versus takes us a year to fill it up. So that allowed us to also grow to some crazy growth. I mean, growth. But what we also learned that if we take out an expert from our current studio and put it into the new studio that is brand new, then that studio, the brand new one, will grow way faster. So in a month, we were able to accomplish what we would only able to accomplish in about six months if we wouldn't move a person from an old location to a new location. So we're moving around our employees and even give them apartments and that kind of stuff in different cities. So so basically, if you take your, you're saying your best trainer or your best salesperson or b best of both and put them in a new location, mm -hmm. that's the number one factor for success? Yeah, so look at it this way. So let's say Tampa is our oldest location. Uh, it was our highest performing studio. And uh, and we changed it a little bit because we had the, the power players that, or whatever, A players, let's call it them, because they've been with us. Most of our trainers have been with us since we started. Our turnover rate is very, very low. And um, they've been here for many, many years. So what we did is assemble the team and we moved those players from Tampa location to uh, all of our other locations that were new because at first what we did, we opened up a studio and we let the, let's call them green beans, even though they are not, which are just, it's just like a term because they're new to the industry, new to us, but they mm -hmm. weren't confident enough to able to ask for this high price when we are the highest in the neighborhood where we are. So they weren't confident enough, so they weren't able to sell. But when we bring yeah. in these experts who are very proud of the price and what they do, because they've been doing it for a long time, they sell the crap out of it and all the consoles, all the trials, even if they say it's not our clients when we advertising, they all bought. And literally if we had like our, I have the exact statistics, but I'm just going to say right out of my head. Um, if we had, let's say 10 consultation coming in about eight would purchase. So it was about between 75 to 84, uh, 81, 82%, something like that, uh, based wow. if they came front of us, but that's only with the people who are with us for a long time and they have practiced it. new ones would not be able to do that. So we had to play with that for a while, but that's allowed us to grow very fast. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's no reason to start from scratch when you have 
all these years of experience to build on, but that only happens through people. It doesn't, you can't just do that through policies and systems. There has to be people that are showcasing how that really takes place. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is a big issue in the CrossFit industry, kind of two things. One is not doing enough personal training, um, and not building that, that side of things. But then two, just the operational capacity of our model of group classes and barbells of not being able to really maximize our square footage. So I'm just curious if you can dive into just like the makeup of a single location, a single successful location. And I know you, you've, you've now gone to more 20 minute sessions and you have this technology, but even before that, when you were doing these longer sessions, like what, what's the size of a, of a really uh, well-run gym and what kind of uh, like how many people are doing personal training consistently? How many members do you have if you want to even consider it? And like, what's like the average client pain per month in mm-hmm. that sense? Yeah. So it's awesome that you asked this because at first I thought the bigger the studio, the better. So if you look at like which studios opened up when, you can see that we started from small and went bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then now mm-hmm. we're going smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> because we learned it has nothing to do with it. And then I read a few books about, um, uh, especially Apple back in the day. And it really pissed me off when I read something about it that Apple per square feet, how much, they, I don't know the actual amount right now, but how much they selling per square feet. And I was like, man, I want to smell really, sell really high per square feet. So the only way to do yeah. that is sell more or bring down the, uh, the size. So I did both, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but anyways, um, so what's yeah, your, so, what's your ideal size that you found? Exactly. So now the perfect size that works for us is 750 square feet, which is tiny. Yeah. But how many people can train in that in a given time? Exactly. So our active clients that can hold on to is 100 clients active, but each pays between $1,300 to $1,600 per month on auto pay. So, and that's basically goes a little bit over a million dollars. So that's basically our in a year, but that's basically our model for each studio. And that's basically our goal for it too. Wow. That's, uh, that's impressive. So auto pay. So you have basically a built out personal training membership. What is that? Three days a week that they're uh-huh. sort of paying for? So it's two to three times. So two times a week would be $1,300. And then uh, the three times a week would be basically $1,500. And that's that's basically their two options. So if I'm a CrossFit gym, and let's say I have 4,000 square feet, and I have the ability to carve out 750 square feet for a personal training space and can generate leads through maybe a different source like uh, a Facebook or Instagram and go for like lead generation to have this dialed in sales process. Do you think that works for a CrossFit gym or what, what potential things do you think will be obstacles for a CrossFit gym in that sense where you as a personal training studio may have an advantage of just, this is what we do. This is what we focus on. It's, it just really depends on what's the model as in like, is it a high end model? Is it a low end model? What I mean by that, um, are there showers or there, what kind of client you go after, right? If it's like the lower bracket, then, and then, and then you have to make sure the person will go for the lower bracket as well. 
and then if it's a higher bracket, then it has to go for the higher bracket as well. What I what I learned when we opened up for group classes, which we have had and tested with them for a cheaper price, um, then all of a sudden we attracted the people that don't really go well with our high end price per training price. And and the only way it would work, which we have a model now that we work on because we coach other gym owners that we're testing it through them, is that one section of the gym is group classes, the other section is private personal training and it's completely separated. And uh, and that works really well. But if you guys think about it, if you're able to carve up, let's say 750 square feet, however, probably less because, because that 750 square feet includes our showers as well and changing rooms. So if you already have a gym and you're able to carve off, let's say 700 square feet or 600 square feet to the side to make additional about a million dollars, you know, um, that's actually pretty cool. Uh, or even a half a million, just to be more realistic. That's a, that's actually a pretty cool concept that I would look into as for personal training. But I, I yes, I highly recommend that one-on-one works. My only thing is that if you have a 5,000 square feet studio, I would again, max out all of the spaces. Um, how much I can make out of it. And then once I'm completely maxed out inside of my studio, I would go to even the online coaching business. I would go into supplements. I would go into some other things. So instead of opening up a second location, first I would definitely max out my current locations. You know, gotcha. but yeah, I highly recommend that to do both, but only if it fits your model. Cool. Um, yeah, that's, so why, do, why, I know you have, what do you have, six locations now? Yeah, so we have six locations that's owned and operated by us, and uh, and then we have two more and plus more coming up that are just licenses, which means we sell basically our know-hows and equipment and help gym owners basically on how to do it, um, and that all the way goes down to doing their leads, their calls, and so many things. But um, but yeah, basically we are at six now as our own and operated by us um, from Florida to New York, and we're opening up probably four more up in New York City. Cool. So do most of those are most of those strictly personal training studios or you're going with that combo of personal training and group classes? So these are only personal training studios because we wanted to keep it uh, very tiny as possible at first because New York City rent, for example, is like crazy amount of high, especially in Manhattan. So we wanted to go everywhere for branding purposes. And then eventually we can build in in between. And then on top of that, we can also use the basement in New York City. So first we we working on our small model. Cool. And then what is what is your role look like now? Like, um, you know, how have you evolved? When did you get out of personal training yourself? And then what is your role now as it relates to these different locations? So I was. I got out probably almost three years now um, about completely like training anyone um, whatsoever. And uh, the it was a tough transition. And I understand gym owners where they're coming from um, and personal trainers that, you know, that leaving the clients and everything. But I can tell you that, that if you hire the right people who are better than you in ideally, that's the goal. Um, and then you make sure that they, if, even if they are not when you hire them, that they will be better than you because you invest into them to be successful, then the clients will be happier because the client will work with somebody amazing, just like you were, and then you can focus on growing the business. So I'm more interested about the business and then helping more people. And the only way to do that is if I get out completely. So I got out completely. And, uh, and at first, you know, I did everything else. So let's call it, uh, I didn't. I wasn't one of those people who like, all right, I'm a CEO and I start calling myself a CEO or anything like that. But 
eventually with the years that I had and, and the mastermind groups or things that I was in and then employees. And then when we actually set uh, our roles, uh, went through some uh, groups and with coaches and then also um, have our board. Um, then eventually, yes, I got into a role of a CEO, but I don't really care for actual like titles um, at our company. It's not a big deal. Um, but the point is basically, if I would have to explain my role, that's my role. And I, I do travel to studio to studio uh, to see and, you know, talk with the trainers, but I have my direct reports um, who report to me every week. Uh, all Mondays is meeting from like 8 a.m. to like 6 p.m. Um, mm -hmm. back to back with my direct reports. Um, and then and then outside of it, I do also our own podcast. Uh, I'm coaching other gym owners and like a few other things, but I do what I love to do uh, completely outside. And then on top of that, um, of course, I write a lot. I try to publish, my new goal is to publish a new book every two years. And then um, also the, uh, as far as the location. So I only really go to the location that's close to my house and that's where our headquarters is as well. So I only go into that main office, but there are studios that I haven't visited since last year. So the idea of gym owners that, because I meet lots of them to say that, man, I don't know how you do it and have to open our next studio because it just, to drive an hour away, you know, to train clients at the other studio is just the wrong mindset. Because if you open up a second studio to think that you would be training at that studio and this one, then don't open it because that's just not gonna work. Yeah. So you have to take yourself completely out of the business. And I highly recommend everybody, which I did too. My coach told me to do this and I was like, okay, let's do it. And I didn't even question him, but he told me, uh, your business is ready for growth. Uh, if you can leave for a whole month and don't even look at your emails, and then when you come back, not only that your business survived, but actually thrived and grown without you. So I did it and that was the case. So I was like, all right, great. <laughs> so I, I think that's a great um, sort of metric for thinking about it. Um, I, I think in, especially in the CrossFit affiliate space where owners are so invested in their businesses, it's like, it's really, it's easier said than done. Um, most, most gym owners can't imagine spending a full seven days away from their business, let alone, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a couple months. So what, what things had to be in place for you in order to do that? And where, where did you make mistakes in that? Well, firstly, um, well, hiring the right people is one, right? So, so putting into the right roles is second and then have them out what it looks like, but give them the room for mistakes. So let them fail on their own and don't beat them down that, oh my God, you suck. What did you do? No, I was nice to all of them. And I told them that, okay, so what did you learn from this? And as long as they have learned from it and they didn't make the same mistake again, then we are growing. And that was the whole mindset, the mentality that we have done. And then what it was is that the, the gym just, we just hired the right people. We gave them their role, what they're supposed to do. And then we let them be. And then there was uh, meetings on Mondays to go through with the staff with each uh, individual peer person. And we have awesome leaders, you know, who help each other out and just because of our core values. So number one thing that we did, we went through our core values and created them. So people can just pull it up and reference back to it that how I supposed to think, uh, what I supposed to do. And then it's almost like a Bible, right? To the company. And then go through to all the details if I'm stuck, what I need to do. But Number one, if you haven't used Trainual, which we used right now, is basically an online operations manual that we created. And I have not only written with our op uh, operating officer, but um, we actually 
recorded ourselves doing everything in the company. So, and, and we put it into it with text and everything. So it's searchable. So it's almost like our all internal Google system. So yeah. if somebody is stuck, don't know how to do a payment, don't know how to reset the internet, uh, or don't know anything whatsoever with the company, they go into our internal operation, uh, operation system. They type in um, what they're looking for and the video or the info will be right in front of them. So they don't have to reach out to me. And anytime somebody still reached out to me, instead of giving them the answer, I created a video and sent it to them. So, and then put it into the system. So next time when somebody asks, asks that question, they, I don't have to reply back. I just tell them to go to train you all and search for it and it's there. And then they learn it on their own. Anytime they would reach out, well, never mind, it's in train you all. And then uh, people start reaching out to me uh, and they start learning by themselves and, and start thinking like an entrepreneur, which is one of our core values, meaning um, they figuring it out on their own instead of just like accepting it that, oh, it's broken. Oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, we don't have a power. We can't train. They just figuring it out on their own without basically me. It's like their own living organism. And that was my goal uh, for my business to, if I leave, everybody knows what they need to do and what they're working towards to without me even being around. How much do you pay for that? How much is Trainual? Trainual, I, I think maybe it's like $300 a year. It's not even yeah. that much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I love that you not only have it, but you have uh, you've layered this system on top of it, which is anytime you get a question, you don't just answer a question. You are, you know, creating a, a solution that is timeless that someone can revisit over and over and over again. Um, and I think that's cool that like I'll, I'll do that with the podcast of if I get a question, an email, it becomes a podcast topic rather than just a one off answer to a question. Um, so I, th I think that's really cool. I think that's a good way for gym owners to be thinking about any area of their business is like those things that you're doing repetitively that feel like one-off tasks. How can you, you know, turn those into systematic ways to help your entire team or build revenue or create an audience, whatever it is. So, um, I know you got to go here. Is there anything that you want to leave, um, our audience with or places where people can find you or learn more? Uh, about you and what you're doing? Yeah, just a few things. I would say that any gym owners who, who let's say, created their own, two things, uh, own business and personal trainers who are either working for them or thinking that, man, I should just do it on my own because my client's telling me that I could get more out of this. Uh, just think about it. If you're a trainer and if you love being a trainer, um, just think about first the accounting, the business side and everything. If that doesn't interest you, you don't need to have your own studio. You should just partner up with some amazing person who already knows the fitness industry on the business side and work with them. Uh, and you don't have to create your own because you guys, if you guys leverage each other and balance it out that you are good at this and he's good at that or she, whatever, then you're more than likely going to be more successful and make way more money than you ever thought of. But if mm -hmm. you all go on your own and create all these new locations and businesses, you're more than likely going to fail because the odds are completely against you because now you're not only a trainer, you're also a business owner. And then lastly for gym owners, like currently, if you are still working in your business, just also have that mindset and mentality uh, that I use with like the football analogy that first, the f usually the football players are players at first, then they, they might become coaches and then the coaches might become head coaches, the head coaches might become GMs, the GMs might become eventually an owner because they have enough money to buy a team and all that. But the bottom line is the owner never goes down into the field and actually make a play and, and neither jumps in and become a coach. So my, the bottom line is don't do the same with your trainers. 
because it makes no sense. It's just easy to do it in a business versus on live NFL because there are rules that you cannot break. But in your business, you create your own rules. So technically, you should jump in and train clients and create rules as you go because you don't have technically a boss that you have to you know answer to. So I would just say to if you do want to be successful and have more locations, you just need to be completely out of the actual training and business. So make sure you systemize everything. Cool. Um, anywhere that people can find you or keep in touch um, with you or just learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, so it's my uh, firstandlastname.com. Uh, that's my personal website, which is danielneary.com. And then on my uh, Instagram, I'm very pretty active. So we should be Daniel, my first name. There's a Z in the middle, which is my middle name. Stands for Zoltan, believe it or not. And <laughs> then my last name, Neary. So it's Daniel Z Neary is my Instagram. And, and Neary is N-Y-I-R-I. Yep, that's it. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time. I'm really glad that I uh, jumped on this interview with you. I didn't know much going into it, but I uh, learned a lot in this call. So thanks for taking the time, Daniel, and looking forward to connecting with you soon again. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. Hey, guys. Welcome to the 7 Figure Box podcast. This is Andrew Frezza. And today's episode, I'm really excited to share with you guys. It is an interview I did with Daniel Neary. And if you guys don't know that name, that's okay. I didn't know that name prior to really doing the interview. Daniel had reached out to me. He sent me a copy of his book a few months back with a handwritten note um, saying he was a listener of the podcast and a fan of the podcast. And then he followed up recently with an email. And um, I just thought it was really cool how he approached reaching out. Um, I thought it was cool that he was clearly someone that had at least listened to a few episodes of the show. And I decided I want to give him a shot. Even if I didn't publish the episode, I wanted to sit down with him, talk to him, and record. And I was blown away by the episode, honestly. I really enjoyed talking to Daniel. I learned a bunch of things from talking to him um, that you guys are going to hear in this episode. I'd highly recommend you guys give this one a shot um, and listen to it. But just giving a snapshot of some of the things that we talked about. We talked about how he uh, started in his first location, 1,100 square foot location, and grew it to over um, 700, seven figures. Uh, we also talk about now how he's going even smaller and he's able to do seven figures in 750 square foot locations. We talk about how to open multiple locations, which Daniel now has a bunch. And we talk about raising prices and how to do that um, well and how to justify that. We talk about the difference between delegating and leveraging, which I thought was a really cool conversation. And Daniel shared a couple of really cool resources that I that were new to me. Number one was a book recommendation. The book Lincoln on Leadership is his number one book on leveraging instead of delegating. And then he shared an app, which is called Capital. So that's just pronounced like the word capital, but with a Q. So Q-A-P-I-T-A-L. And if you're someone that uh, is familiar with Profit First, or you want to be familiar with Profit First, which uh, both I and Daniel would recommend, that's an app that's going to help you do that more efficiently. So here's the episode with Daniel Neary. Enjoy the show. <laughs> 